If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews as we continue our study through that book. And I tell you, I really enjoy the fact, the pressure I feel on the first service to be through at a certain time, I don't feel that pressure at all. Because we don't have to get through to start Sunday school, which we were a little bit late this morning to start Sunday school, not too much. But we don't have that pressure, so we can be here till one or two. What a great way to spend the Lord's Day. The book of Hebrews, and if you would please turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. But I really don't. I don't feel the need to hurry at this service like I do at the, the 9 o'clock service because we have Sunday school following along. So, but don't worry. I'm aware of the time. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Give ear as we hear the Word of the living God. Let's start our reading up in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you, we have all participated... They were illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits than live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And by the way, the only way to be trained by it is by faith and trust in God as you go through it. If you're in rebellion, if you think God's making a mistake, you're not going to profit from the discipline that God gives to you. It is as we live day by day and trust by day in God's goodness that we are trained. The just shall live by faith. Again, Habakkuk 2, 4. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he had desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repentance, though he sought it with tears. Esau's problem was not a brokenness of heart, but rather a brokenness of what he forfeited. He was sorry for the consequences of his decision, not about offending God or rejecting the covenant. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the holy city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, 
and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The grass withers the flower, flower phase, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Please pray for yourselves and pray for me as I preach this text. Let's pray. Oh God, it is that I would love to see this building filled. How we pray that you would grant revival. How we pray that you would bring an end to the thing that separated us. And the virus, uh, oh Lord, how we pray uh, that we may be able to meet again without anyone having any fear or consequences of being close together. We pray, oh God, that you would bless your word to us this morning as we assembled in the name of Christ. And pray that you would be with me as I preach this text, be with your congregation as they hear it. And may it be, oh God, for the glory of Christ, the good of our souls, for our own sanctification, we pray. And may we desire, oh God, to be more like Christ, not less like Christ, but more like Christ after having left here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 2020 was uh, a trying year, was it not? People are saying that they are so glad to be beyond uh, 2020 and into 2021. We'll keep this in mind. What brought us from 2020 to 2021 was a millisecond. Midnight, New Year's Day. All of a sudden, the calendar changes to 2021. The earth is going around the sun one more time, and we're into the next year. But what's really changed? COVID is still with us. Uh, we are a very much a divided country. Uh, the divisions that have been started uh, 12 years ago and even beyond that have become more and more deeply marked. Uh, We just went through an election where we elected a man that obviously has some uh, challenges with his thinking. There are accusations that not only did we go through an election and elect a man who has some uh, challenges with his thinking, but also an election that seems to be fraught with fraud. And the nation is more divided. What makes people think 2021 is going to be a better year? What? Not a whole lot has changed since last week. Nothing's changed. So where do we find hope in these days where we know that there are people who are ruling this country that hate the church? They hate Christ. They hate the gospel. They hate Christians. Where is our hope? The Bible tells us, as you well know, stop putting your trust in princes who have but breath in their life. I want to read to you from what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. Do you live your life today with a recognition of the realization that heaven is now, that heaven exists now, 
and that the saints of old are there in glory. What the writer to the Hebrews does here is talk about the place that Paul mentions, where Paul says when he had this beatific vision, and it's really, he doesn't know if it was a vision or if he was actually present there. What happened to him was he heard things that are not even lawful to speak in this life. So marvelous was that revelation to him of glory. Well, what the writer to the Hebrews does here is he kind of opens the curtains to heaven a minute. And let's just see a little bit, at least, to what is happening there with the people of God. Would have us to see this this morning, because Christ has defeated sin and death and taken away the condemnation that the law had against God's people, we may rest with confidence that heaven is ours and great blessings await us as the people of God. The day will come when the United States is no more. History tells us that. It tells us that. Does that make me happy? No, it doesn't make me happy. I talked to a man, I may have said this to you already, I apologize if I did, sort of. Uh, J.C. Bell, brilliant man, in his 90s, he's a judge in Hattiesburg, he was a bankruptcy attorney. I went in and asked him what he thought about the election, he said this, we have lost our democracy. That's how he put it, we've lost our democracy. So, what are we... As the people of God, what are we as people who desire to live in peace going to do? We look to the certainty of the world to come. There are things in your life that are coming that are going to disrupt your peace. So we rest with the knowledge of the reality of the glory that is ours in heaven to come. The first thing then is that the benefits of faith in Christ are seen here by contrast. Uh, He uh, goes to Mount Sinai in this text. Follow with me. Stay with me. Mount Sinai, uh, which took place 1,400 years plus before this ever was written, over 1,400 years prior to the writing of the book of Hebrews here by the writer to the people of God. The event described here is the giving of the law of God to Moses, God's law, irrevocable. And as this happened, uh, this giving of the law, uh, the Lord meets with his people. And the presence of God on top of the mountain is not to them something that is pleasant, but is horrifying. Uh, As we read in Exodus 20 and verse 19, Now then, all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and the people were afraid and trembled, and they shook afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Have you ever been so scared that you shook? So afraid that you shook. I hate to tell you this, but I scared one of my children so badly one time that it made him, he was shaking in his little car seat. That was terrible. Um, I won't tell you which one it was, and hopefully he's forgotten about it. But he was so afraid of what I was playing with him, and he didn't know I was playing. And he was shaking. Then I realized what was happening. I tried to comfort him as very much as quickly as I possibly could. Have you ever been that afraid? That you shook. Well, that's what those people were. They were trembling with fear. 
They were terribly, terribly afraid. Well, why does God appear to them at, in this fashion at this time? There were three things to understand about this as God presents himself to them on top of the mountain. In the first place, he presents himself as holy. Absolutely unadulterated holiness there made evident on top of that mountain with that theophany that was up there. The second thing is that he is the lawgiver. That's the second thing that we can understand from what's taking place there at the foot of Mount Sinai, at the top of Mount Sinai, the people are witnessing this. He's the lawgiver. Uh, And the next thing is he is the judge. And understand this, as the people saw this transpiring on the top of Mount Sinai, there's the absolute absence of compassion. It's God as judge. It's God as lawgiver. That's what's taking place on top of Mount Sinai. The holy God shows himself to be authoritative. The holy God shows himself to be the lawgiver. And there is a real absence of any kind of compassion witness there. Quite a contrast to Jesus in Matthew 11 when he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Christ has made a marked difference in our relationship with God. As the Old Testament was pictured, were types and shadows of what was to come with the reality of redemption accomplished and applied. And the law reminding them over and over and over, there needs to be a sacrifice for your sins. As the priest went in year after year after year, again and again and again, making that sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel. This is not a picture described here of peace of mind. This is not a picture described here of peace of mind at all. You speak to us, we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. And you remember the command, even if an animal touches the mountain, that animal is to be put to death. That animal is to be stoned to death. Well, why so dreadful? Well, uh, because of what is getting ready to happen there on the mountain. Remember Moses was up there for 40 days. And we read in the scriptures that God wrote the Ten Commandments. With the finger of God, it says he wrote them in stone. They're irrevocable. The law of God stands. The Ten Commandments is given to him here. And they must know as this is beginning to take place, as this is about to take place, that the dreadful of, dreadfulness of the appearance is, again, that they would understand that God is wholly, completely separate from sin. They would also understand that what is necessary then, according to that law, is obedience. Listen to this. We show we love our God by our obedience to him. Again, Jesus in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the writer goes here in this place in Hebrews chapter 12 to Mount Sinai. But remember this, Hebrews chapter 12 again and again is a contrast and an argument from the lesser to the greater. If the people in the Old Testament did not escape, when they rejected the gospel, he says there, with their limited revelation, how much more shall we not escape? With the revelation that we have of Christ having come and Christ having accomplished salvation. So again, it is an argument from the lesser 
to the greater. And it's not a comparison, it's a contrast. Not a comparison, it is a contrast. The contrast between the temporal and the eternal, the judgment and redemption. That is the contrast. So he says this here, we have not come. In all of your commitment to Christ, in all of your sufferings that you've gone through, in the losing of your property because of following after Jesus Christ, and all of these things you've had to deal with as the people of God, and forsaking the Old Testament temple practice, which is part and parcel to the cultic practices of the Old Testament people that you were involved in until recently, you have not come to something that may be touched. Mount Sinai. That's not where you are follower of Christ. We have not come to something that may be seeing the fire and the smoke and the billows on top of the mountain. You have not come to what may be heard, the trumpet and the voice of God that sounded like thunder that made the people so afraid they were trembling. You have not come to something that is fearful. If I may read this quote, they could not tolerate the manner in which the commandments were communicated to them, for God himself uttered the commandment. Listen to that again. They could not tolerate the manner in which the commandments were communicated to them, for God himself uttered the commandment. What's happening here? Well, the law convicted them. The law made them recognize their own failings before God, their own sinfulness before God. And they're simply the manifestation of God's holiness before these people. And they came under conviction. We cannot tolerate this. Because what this God shows himself to be is a God who is so far removed uh, from humanity. And so much more holy than humanity, than we are, that the result of even approaching this God is death. As there the commandment again was given, that if an animal touches the mountain, that animal was to be killed. And we see here just the overwhelming sense of God's holiness is more than they can bear. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 in verse 5. Isaiah 6, the call of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lofted, seated on a throne, and his train of his robe filled the temple, and the temple filled with smoke, and the threshold was shaking. And I saw the angels flying before the throne of God as he sat there in all of his regal appearance, and they were crying out to one another, speaking to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory, the glory of his holiness being seen. Crying out to one another, singing to one another. And you remember what Isaiah did. He said, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. This man, Isaiah, was a very godly man. Uh, again, the, the, the prophet, uh, the, the prophecy of Isaiah is so Christological, more so than any of the other Old Testament prophets. More of Christ contained there than any of the other prophets. And yet this man, when he saw this visible manifestation of God, this theophany as they are called, presenting God's 
holiness. He said, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he trembled with fear. Even Moses, uh, the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament, the one who spoke to God, uh, not through visions we read, but through uh, face-to-face, said this, I tremble with fear. Well, what is the point of the prophet presenting the contrast between the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant? What is the purpose of his doing this? Well, it is to say this to the Hebrews that receive this letter. This is not where you are. This is not where you are as the children of God. Not at all. Uh, You are not uh, cowering at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, You are not afraid uh, to uh, draw near to God. As a matter of fact, we read in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, you've not come, he says, to a mountain of dread. To a law of condemnation and judgment, you are in a much better place. That's not to say the Ten Commandments have been abrogated. They have not been abrogated. There's still sin if we break the commandments of God. But the benefits of being in Christ are seen with what he says by contrast. And you've got to get that. You have to get that. Here are a people saying, please, God, Don't speak to us. Moses, don't let God speak to us. You tell us what he's saying. Because this is so horrific. It's so horrible that we don't want to go through it again. And then he says this. Christ has brought a grand improvement to our relationship with God. He says you've come to Mount Zion. Not Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion, the holy hill of God. Again, contrasted with Mount Sinai. Mount Zion was uh, in the uh, southern hill of Jerusalem, but it's not speaking of that one. He's speaking of uh, the heavenly Mount Zion. It is a spiritual reference, not a geographical reference here. You have come to the dwelling place of the Almighty God as his friend. As his child. You have come as one who is a brother to Christ or a sister to Christ. That's where you have come to the dwelling place, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to uh, the place where the angels are festively gathering and singing praises to God because of the redemption that the Son has accomplished. This is the end, really, of the Christmas story. As we see the angels in Luke singing, glory to God in the highest on earth, uh, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. But now you see the angels still singing in festive celebration uh, that redemption has been accomplished. And that now, according to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus That is tremendous news because every one of you here, every one of us breaks the laws of God every single day. And we do so without a forethought. Yet there still stands Christ who did what we can't do as he beckons us to come. 
we have come not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. Here is a reference and picture of great grace and great kindness. The assembly of the firstborn, the heavenly church, to God, the judge of all. Only this judge now looks at us with favor. He looks at us with kindness. Not through rose-colored glasses, but through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where you are, Christian. This is where your God is. And the place where they are is the place of glory. I have lost a lot of my family. Pretty young. Pretty young. My daddy was 58 when he died. Mom, I said, y'all remember my mother, 73, not too. I lost her brother. Grandparents, and you have as well. I know some of you have lost parents. You've lost grandparents as well. It is a comfort to know that we know where they are. It's a comfort to know that they're doing well. So this place of the saints, of grandparents, parents of children, of infants that have died in this life. Well, what we know of their passing is this. This passage to glory happens at the moment of our death. It is instantaneous Connected to, connected to our death. Know that Luke chapter 22, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you should be with me in paradise. And when we're both gone, when we're both dead, we will both be in paradise, he said to the thief on the cross next to him. Paul in Second Corinthians 5 says, I long to depart and be with Christ. Today you shall be with me in paradise. So there is no such thing as soul sleep. As some believe and teach. That's a heresy. There's no such thing as purgatory. And there's no comfort in thinking of someone going to purgatory. Purgatory is basically suffering hell. Because Christ, you see, didn't quite get it all done on the cross. He didn't quite get enough suffering on the cross. So now some of the sins you commit, well, you still have to pay for them. And you do that in purgatory. And you remember Tetzel. The saying once that they had during the indulgences, once uh, in the, when a copper clinks uh, or something like that, another, another soul from Purgatory Springs. There's no such place as Purgatory. Today you shall be with me in paradise. And what a comfort that is to us as Christians to know that those that we love and those that have gone on before us are not in some limbo place. They are in heaven with Christ. It is to be preferred. We don't pursue death. We do everything that we can do to pursue health. But when the time comes for us to go, we need to be able to say with Stonewall Jackson, I prefer it. I prefer it, and I think by God's grace we can say that. I prefer it. As the doors of heaven are about to be opened wide for us so that we will not only 
be free from all of the ravages of sin and the ravages of time and age, but also we would be in glory where Christ is. And the great thing about this text, Al Martin, I heard him say one time, this is the only place in the Bible that gives us the information on the condition of those that have died before us and gone to heaven. The souls of men made perfect. Glorified souls. Free from temptation. Free from having to shed tears of sadness. Or tears of remorse. Free from all of those such things because they are now the souls of men made perfect. A surpassing greatness they now experience. And it has come to pass always we remember and only through Christ. As he says here in the text. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's the church in glory. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel call for? How does the blood of Abel speak? It speaks of vengeance. It speaks of getting even. It speaks of judgment. What does the blood of Christ speak? It speaks forgiveness. It speaks grace. It speaks kindness. That's the blood of Christ. That's where we are as God's people. There is in this country a great deal of emphasis on uh, physical health. You know, there are gyms all over the city, at least there used to be. They've closed some of them now because of government. Gyms throughout the land, plus a diet for every kind of person that possibly could desire one. Uh, the keto diet. Let me try to get me on this keto diet. I'm going to give it a try. But I sure love bread. You've got the one that the, the Osmond girl advertises for that you spent a bunch of money on it. They ship the food to your house to eat what they send to you. You lose weight. Well, those are all, all wonderful, wonderful things. And we should uh, be careful about our diet and that type of thing. Uh, I don't know anyone uh, that as they look at 2021, uh, say this, I plan on drinking a fifth of Cuddy Shark every day. Whiskey at breakfast, whiskey at lunch, whiskey at supper, whiskey at bedtime. I heard John LBJ did that. I heard he drank a fifth of Cuddy Shark a day. I don't know anybody that says, I plan on smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and on Sunday three packs. And I'm going to eat whatever I want to, whatever I want to, and I'm going to see how much weight I can possibly gain by December 31st of this year. Because I hope to get diabetes and lose my vision and have my feet cut off. Nobody has that for a plan. Nobody. Uh, you do want to try to do your best. But what about our souls? Do we care as much about caring for ourselves, we can't see them. 
We know we have them. The Bible tells us that we have them. We know we have them. We know there's a heaven to come. But how do we care for our souls? How do we make sure that we are prospering spiritually? Well, for one thing, we practice repentance. For another thing, we study God's word and we spend time in prayer. God's people today don't pray. They don't pray like they used to pray. So often we pray when we want something. But to be a man or a woman or a child of prayer is to seek God's face with great fervency every single day. And we need Him. It's a very, very foolish thing to have all the blessings that we have in Christ and then to trade it away for the love of some kind of sin. That just means so much to you. It means more than even God's grace and His mercies. Will you allow problems to destroy marriages this year? When humility goes a long way in good communication and repairing marriages. But so often pride stands in the way. And we'd rather make shipwreck of our marriage than to be humbled. Martyr to the Hebrews is this. Don't. Chunk it away. What you have in Christ, treasure it. What you have in Christ is greater than any other thing we have here in this life. Peace with God. A place in glory. And so we pursue afterwards, it says in the Scriptures, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Again, here is the end of the Christmas story. It ends in glory where Christ is. And we look forward to his return. Let's pray.